first reading for our celebration of the resurrection of our Lord comes from the Acts of the Apostles, the 10th chapter. Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the third, on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And this is the word of the Lord. Christ has risen from the dead. He has given him dominion over the works of his hands. Epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, the third chapter. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel that serves as the text for our sermon this morning comes according to St. Matthew, the 28th chapter. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the gospel of our Lord. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
I was positive that my phone was right there. I mean, I could have sworn I saw it just a couple of minutes ago. That's where I always put it. So where in the world else would it be? But after checking there a third and a fourth and a fifth time, I started to expand my search. I checked the pockets of the clothes I'd been wearing earlier. I checked my coat. I checked behind the coleslaw in the refrigerator because we have young children. I checked everywhere. I searched the entire house, upstairs and downstairs and inside and out. No matter how long I searched our house, I was doomed not to find my phone because it simply wasn't there. As it turns out, it was over here, sitting on my desk at the office. That can be frustrating, can't it? And confusing when something isn't where you're positive it should be. And it's even more befuddling when you find out that what you're looking for isn't anywhere near where you think it is. Car keys should be on the hook. Left socks should be with the right ones, and Jesus should be in the tomb. Because that's where they left him on Friday. And he was dead. And so by all accounts, when the women went to the tomb early that Sunday morning, it should have been very, very easy to find Jesus. But when they get there, they don't. They find soldiers frozen in fear. They find the stone rolled back. They find an angel from heaven. And what does that angel tell them? Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, but you're looking in the wrong place. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. This was the message of the angel, and this was astounding. It was shocking. It was bewildering. They had come to the tomb to mourn, to finish preparing Jesus' body for a proper burial. They had come prepared to be overwhelmed in sadness and in grief, but instead they're overwhelmed with amazement and joy. At this tomb, there is no sorrow because there is no more death. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Those who sought to mourn his death, those who wanted to gloat over his humiliating defeat, those who came to the tomb to revel in their murderous success, they're all looking in the wrong place because this tomb is empty. Now, when we came to church this morning, we knew that was the case, right? I'm guessing nobody came here expecting the service to be about how Jesus is still dead and how sad we still are. We came here to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Easter is all about the empty tomb, and that's why we're here today, right? Or is it? Are you here to rejoice in the full gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you here to hear the full measure of his word? Have you come with a joyous but repentant heart of faith that acknowledges your sin and seeks God's forgiveness, knowing that he freely and richly grants it to those who look to him in faith? Or is it something else 
that brings you here today. Now sadly for many people, church is not so much about Jesus and forgiveness as it is more of a pleasant social club for nice people. We feel that this is where the good people gather, where the people that we want to be around will be on a Sunday morning. We think that we come to church because we are good and we are upright and this is what is expected of us. Let me tell you something, though. If you're here looking for the good, the strong, the pure, the righteous, the sinless, well, you're looking in the wrong place. Because the church, it is not a museum of the holy and the sinless. It is a field hospital for the wounded, the sick, the dirty, the dying. We gather here each week not because we're perfect, but because we know our sin. Because we know how desperately we need forgiveness. We hear God's word and it is painfully clear. I am by nature sinful and unclean. And so are you. We have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We are all filthy, miserable sinners who have transgressed God's perfect law time and time and time again. We have hated. We have misused God's precious name. We have lusted. We have gossiped. We have coveted and lied and stolen and cheated and disobeyed and so, so much more. Sin isn't just something that we do occasionally. Sin is who we are. Sin is what we do naturally automatically, selfishly doing what we want to do with no regard for those around us, living lives like animals, lives that are filled with sin and just not at all caring about the witness that it gives to others, pushing God's word of life aside, trying to rewrite it because we like the filthy things we do. Every one of us, you and me, everyone, we are all sinners, corrupted to the very core, with no good at all within us. We are not perfect and upright. <laughs> Far from it. Every time we hear God's word, we are rightly convicted. We are reminded of how wretched we truly are. We are sinners through and through. And so if you have come here today looking to be with perfect people, you are looking in the wrong place. Because this place is filled today and every Sunday with sinners who can do nothing to save themselves. Which is why today is so important. And why the cross of Jesus Christ is so very important. And why it is so, so important that when we look in the tomb, we don't find Jesus. As sinners, we have no hope on our own. There is nothing we can do to atone for our sin, to make right all the things that we have made so very wrong. All our good works, all our trying to redefine sin, all our explanations that my situation is different and, and, and you just don't understand, none of it does us any good. Our sin is so deep, so wrong, that there was only one thing that could possibly make us right with God. And that one thing was nothing short of the death 
of God himself. On Friday, we looked to the cross of Jesus Christ, and we saw just how high the cost of our sin truly is. We saw God himself in our flesh, beaten, ridiculed, nailed to the cross, lifted up for the whole world to mock. We saw his anguish and his pain, his torture and his torment. We saw him who was without sin suffer the full righteous punishment of every sin ever committed. We saw God himself, immortal, endless, and eternal, die. And the sorrow of that moment, it rightly grieved us. But as we looked to that terrible, bloody death of Jesus, in faith we also rejoiced. Because by grace, we understand what his death means to us. If you are looking to Jesus to just be a shoulder to cry on, someone who can grant you a few wishes, someone who will tell you that no matter how sinful your life is, you are still A-OK with him, then sadly, you are looking in the wrong place. Because Jesus Christ, true God and true man, he came to give us so much more. He came to take our place beneath God's righteous wrath and to suffer the penalty that we deserve forever. He came to snatch us from the fires of hell, to ransom us from the devil, to deliver us from our sins. He came to shed his blood for you, pouring out his holy life as the only acceptable sacrifice to pay for your guilt and to make you right in the eyes of God. There on the cross, in agony and unimaginable torment of body and spirit, Jesus Christ gave up absolutely everything for you, to redeem you, so that you, a sinner, could be proclaimed holy, innocent, and righteous in the eyes of God himself, forgiven of all your wrongdoing, welcomed as his beloved child. That's what Jesus really means. It's not about a list of rules to follow. It's not about tips for better living. It's not about pretending that our sin really isn't all that bad. Jesus is all about the price that he paid so that you could be rescued from sin and death and hell. His death was the only payment sufficient to take away your sin, and he paid that price willingly so that you could be his forever. But as the women found out that Easter morning, as we ourselves know so well, death was not the end for Jesus Christ. For even death is not strong enough to hold our Lord. He truly died. He truly gave his life over to death to pay for your sins. But on that glorious Easter morning, by his own power, he took up his life again breaking the chains of death forever. And not just for himself, but for all those who look to him in faith. By his death, we are forgiven and cleansed. And by his resurrection, we are given the free gift of everlasting life in heaven. Because of Easter, death is no longer the feared eternal enemy that it once was. If you're looking at death as the most powerful force in the universe, you are looking in the wrong place because death has been swallowed up in victory.
Christ's victory is our victory as well. Because he lives, we too shall live. Not just here on earth, but in his holy, perfect, eternal kingdom of heaven. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been washed clean of all of our sin, and the gates of heaven now stand open before us. This doesn't mean we're never tempted. This doesn't mean that we never fail. This doesn't mean that we will ever stop sinning this side of heaven. But it does mean that God has made us a new creation, one that wants to do what is pleasing to him. And it does mean that those who look to the cross and empty tomb of Jesus Christ in faith are given the free and undeserved gift of eternal life in heaven. As Jesus rose, we too shall rise to eternal life. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. Just the eternal joy of being in the loving, merciful presence of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is why we celebrate the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Not just today, not even just every Sunday, but every single day of our lives. This is why we look only to Jesus, for salvation is found nowhere else. This is why we poor, miserable sinners come together so often in this holy house. Not to pat ourselves on the back for how good we are, but to give worship and praise to our Lord for how good He is. To receive time and time again that forgiveness of our sins that we so desperately need and that He so freely gives to us through His Word and sacraments. And all are welcome to join with us every single time. Because His Word of salvation, it calls out to all sinners, bringing to them life and forgiveness. In faith, we look to the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, and we know that we are looking in the only right place to find redemption, forgiveness, and the promise of everlasting life. For by his cross alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of all of your sin, and the eternal paradise of heaven is yours. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.